Let us pray this morning and ask for the Lord's blessing in the preaching of his word. O God and our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, we do not serve an impersonal or distant God. Through Jesus Christ, our God and our Father has drawn near to us. We are continuing our study in the Ten Words of the Ten Commandments. And I want to just point out a couple of things here. I keep repeating this, but I think it begs repeating. Why do we say the Ten Words and not simply the Ten Commandments? Of course, first of all, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying. It didn't say, And God commanded. The other thing I think with saying simply commandments is this. Commandments can seem impersonal. But words spoken to you, to I, those are very personal. We see that these are not just commands. These are imperatives, declarations, warnings, and promises. This is so personal, in fact, that God says his personal name, Yahweh, eight times, and says, Yahweh, your God, five times. God is speaking to his people, to all of us. These commands are words, they're all connected, but are reflective, really, in two groups. The first group reflects our relationship to God, and the second group, our relationship to our fellow image bearers. Just to remind us a little, in the first word, we came to realize that we are not to bring any God before the face of the living triune God. The second word is prohibiting us from making for ourselves idols. For when we make our own idols, we are attempting to displace Jesus as our only mediator to God. In the third word, we all recognized that all Christians carry the name of our God through our baptism in every area of our lives and that we must take care not to carry God's name in such a way that causes others to blaspheme the name of God. By obeying the fourth word, we show our trust in the Almighty by stopping and ceasing our pursuits of reaping success from our own labors. We come to worship, to give our tribute in His tithes and our offerings, and to bless others with the rest of peace that the gospel has given us through the work of Jesus Christ. We have learned that the fourth and fifth words are a significant change in the approach from the negative of you shalt not found in the first three and of course in the remaining five. Now these positive actions, remember the Sabbath in the fourth and honor your father and mother in the fifth word are both proactive and positive actions. We can see that when the negative laws are followed, that is removing idolatry, hypocrisy, theft, violence, infidelity from our lives, what is left? 
It is the positive vision that God gives to his people. Sabbath, an intergenerational respect. This is the vision that God gave Israel, and it is the vision that we are to have as Christians. We are to have Sabbath rest and have intergenerational respect. And if you think I'm, you know, pastor, you're diving deep and far away from the intent of all this, I would point us to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, which says this. This is God, again, speaking to his people, and he says this. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. So there's a personal message. He's saying, how are you then to live? Yes, I give you prohibitions, but he says, how are you to live? You are to live by honoring your mother and father and keeping my Sabbaths. And then he says, why? Because I am Yahweh, your God. Today, this idea of intergenerational respect seem to the average person to be absolutely ridiculous. Whole movements for at least the past 400 years have raged against generational respect. There has been an an intentional attack against the work of our fathers and mothers. These subversive attacks have not just been during the last several generations, although I believe, and I think we could all attest to this, It has intensified as of late. It has been declared by God-haters that if we reject our parents and ancestors, that we are the generation or person that is not tainted by the past, or maybe that we're just simply better. There is such a desire to not be associated with those who came before us that as a culture, we look for any occasion to divide from our parents and our ancestors. The themes in television, movies, music, books, the web, and even social media has consistently been to villainize parents as outdated or even worse, out of touch with reality. In many cases, it worsens to outright ridicule and defamation. The trickle of this poison of dishonoring parents has become a raging current. Sometimes this poison even infects you and I. In our own self-justification, we can embrace this lie. The church, particularly in America, struggles with this. One commentary puts it this way. Listen carefully. We believe in the self-made man, the buffered self, the isolated individual. Every man is an atom who has molded himself from the dust, embarrassed by the belly button that speaks of dependence. The difficulty in this error is that it is in strict contrast to the fifth word. Exodus 20 verse 12 tells us, 
honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh your God is giving you. So first of all, we need to talk about what this word honor means. This word honor in the Hebrew, kabod, means to be heavy, weighty, to be honorable, to be glorious, to be honored. This word honor is the same word that we often translate in the scriptures as glory. We are told here to glory or to glorify our mother and father. Now that is not to say out of proportion to honoring God. By the use of this word honor, there is a connection of the authority from God to our mother and father. All glory is derived from God. And to give glory is our only right response to God. Again, I want to pause right here and just say, understand that if you see these first five words connected, you see all these instructions about how to follow and worship God. And then he says, I want you to also see that there is a connection from me to the authorities in your life, including your mother and father. Deuteronomy 28, 58 says this, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, and then it pauses, and in bold print your word says, Yahweh your God, then Yahweh will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues and great and prolonged pro plagues and serious and prolonged sickness. Notice the generational aspect of this verse. We honor God by honoring our parents. And I'll remind you again that, remember, Deuteronomy, this passage is coming towards the end of uh, Moses' sermon on the law. He's had 39 years from when God gives him this word and all the people of Israel to study, to work it out in daily life of leading God's people. And he preaches this great sermon. The whole book of Deuteronomy is this great sermon going into detail after having taken God's word and tried to work through it, he's preaching it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this next generation. Here's the important part, or one of many. We should see God our Father's sovereign hand in who our parents are and the circumstances regarding our conception, our birth, our childhood, and even our adult relationships to our parents. We then are commanded to give honor to our parents. You know, too often we see this commandment as being one directed simply to children. I think the reason that we have that issue is because we see it quoted in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is outlining all kinds of directions to the church in Ephesus. And when he's talking about families, he comes in 
Ephesians 6.1, saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. There's the quote. And then he says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes again, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You know, there is a practical side to this. Children, are you listening? You know, if you obey your parents, there's some simple things that just happen. Don't put your finger in the socket, right? You obey that and you live. When your parents say, don't cross the road without holding a person's hand, there's life there. There's protection in that. So there's a practical side. But there is also the blessing of God in serving and obeying and honoring your parents. But people of God, when God gives these instructions, he commands them to remember the deliverance that he gave them out of the house of bondage. Remember this, when he starts, he says, remember, I am the God who brought you out of the house of bondage to slavery. And more than that, we can look that there, that day on, in, at Sinai, where God was speaking to the people of Israel, that there were tens of thousands of, of adults hearing this directive. These adults were instructed to honor their father and mother. Now think about this. They've just gone through 39 years of wandering around in the wilderness. Or what they thought was wandering. But God was with them all the way, right? God was there. And he was leading them and guiding them and directing them. And, and here Moses is saying, listen... Honor your father and mother. And they they could look back and say, you know what? The whole reason that we're in this place, in this desert, having undergone all these challenges, is because of the decisions that our parents made. Now, there's certainly some truth to that. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, It says this, Do you thus deal with Yahweh, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, you, your elders, and they will tell you. There is something to be learned from your elders, even if they've sinned. Even if they have sinned grievously, against us we should ask so that we can learn now here in this in this commandment this word from god we hear that you are to honor your father and mother this is really important this is singular one of each there is just one mother and one father You know, sometimes we try to separate God's Word from science. But the reality is, we cannot separate the fact that God engineered biology to work in a particular fashion, that there is biologically one father and one mother when a child is conceived. This scripture has clear implications that biologically you can't have 
two mothers or two fathers. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to downplay the need for compassionate adoption. As a matter of fact, God himself speaks of adoption to us as his children. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption. Now, this is important because you have to see the fact that, first of all, God, before the foundation of the world, predestined us to this adoption. You didn't end up with your parents by accident. We need to remember that he says, that Yahweh said, you need to honor your parents who brought you, and and you need to honor him as he brought you out of Egypt. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God is at work sovereignly in your life and in my life in the midst of goodness and in the midst of difficulties. God's adoption of us by deliverance out of the bondage of sin by the work of Christ does not change his design that two parents, a man and a woman, are required by design for giving of life and rearing children. But you know, it doesn't just stick to your parents alone. Leviticus 19 verse 32 tells us this, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man. <coughs> and fear, <coughs> let me read that again. Leviticus 19.32, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, and fear your God, I am Yahweh. We can certainly say that all who came before us, including our parents, have made mistakes and were born into sin. We are not to bring dishonor to our parents. We are not to hate our parents. God predestined and chose us in the very line of our ancestors. When we seek to dishonor our parents, we are dishonoring God's sovereign works in our life. For some, this is a hard saying. Now, God tells us in Proverbs 16:31 that the silver head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of the righteous. The gray head is a crown of glory when it is found in the way of righteousness. Gray hair is to be revered. The older generation has much wisdom to pass to us. I know that we've all seen older folks who are foolish and are in rebellion to God. For them, their agedness is a crown of shame. But, as the scriptures teach us, we can still be instructed by a fool. See all the lessons in the book of Proverbs. And you know, this even goes generationally. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight tells us this, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Now you're saying, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with anything? 
there is a caution here about moving boundaries. In the scriptures, when we look at boundaries, we need to understand that God sets up boundaries for holiness. When you see boundaries, there's usually an attachment to it that has to do with setting things apart for holiness, for use. And we are cautioned to be careful about moving boundaries because it's about holiness. Now this is really important when you consider and you think about the state of our culture today. What have they done? And we, by implication, have done as well. We have allowed boundaries to be moved about what is right, what is wrong, what is truth. You say, how did we get here? You can go back and look in the, in the 20s and 30s and say, there's a whole movement to, to, dis, to make God's word disreputable. There's no fixed point of truth. And as the church has embraced this more and more and more, what has happened? We've moved the boundaries of truth, of holiness, of righteousness. We should be cautious when the call comes out to change a boundary set by our fathers. Now, I think it's important to recognize that some things are wrong and not according to God's word, and that we should embrace for change. Now, God says, honor your father and mother, and he associates this blessing to the land. Now, this is interesting because our scriptures are real inconsistent. Our translations are real inconsistent in how they translate this land. Or anytime you see land or world or earth, what that means. This word, in this case, is Adamah. Adamah. Does this sound at all like creation and Adam? Remember that quote in the beginning about how we formed ourselves out of the dust of the earth, when we think we're doing that, when we're disconnected, we don't recognize that we are actually created out of the soil. That is what God created us out of. It's important for us to understand that Genesis 3, God curses the soil, doesn't he? He tells the soil that, by the way, he brought and created Adam out of He says, I'm going to put a curse here, and it's going to cause you to sweat. It's going to cause you to have to work hard. There's going to be thorns and thistles all about it. We have to recognize that God chastises us through the soil. Actually, the soil mediates God's chastisement to us. And... The thing is, the more the sin, the more the troubles we have. The more the troubles we have, the less peace that there is in the land or upon the soil. As a matter of fact, if it says that you're going to be blessed on the soil, what's the being cursed by the soil? It's being thrown out, thrown off, maybe even vomited out of the land and you actually see that later on when God works in his in his people when they face judgment for not following God not being uh, the priest to the world not bringing God's truth to the world and what does he do he takes them out of the land and judgment comes 
the land will spew them out. Now, in God's good grace, he saves a remnant. He restores. But in thinking about this, Christianity also brings this same concept. In Revelations 3.15, where Jesus is speaking to a particular church, he says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will what? Vomit or spew you out of my mouth. Peaceful continuity is God's desire to have generational passing of the land of blessing. And there is a link here between cultural and personal inheritance. You know, if you study history at all, you will see that when the church grows, that Christianity moves society from a continuous state of war with small portions of peace to times of peace with occasional times of war. We say, but yeah, but look at all the war that's going on. Look at the last century. Look at all these things. And yet, if you've studied history, if you've seen all the death and all the wars, the more that God's church moves on, there's more peace. And war becomes less. And every time that a, that, that a Christian culture begins to reject God, God's judgment comes, and what happens? There's strife in that country, in that land, and eventually war comes out of it. All this goes on, and we need to recognize that God gives. And God is good in what He gives us. Matthew 7.11 says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And you might be saying, good gifts in this country that I'm in and how we got here in the church that I'm in or maybe even was it a good gift for God to give me the parents that I have? You know, our parents were unchosen by us. Our parents were given to us by God. All authorities have been given to us by God. We can see that in, in again, when you look at this sermon in Deuteronomy that, that, that Moses gives on the, on the ten words, you can follow the groupings of each of the words as he goes through in longer explanations. You can see that after the introduction... That Moses gives through chapter 5, Moses explains in more detail each of the 10 words. You know, chapter 16 in Deuteronomy finishes the instructions for the Sabbath rules, and in verse 18 begins instructions for the fifth word, and in that he gives detailed instructions about appointing judges and officers. And in all these instructions, he gives instructions and detailed instructions. Uh, judgments and directions for priests, judges, and kings. Of course, if you've been awake at all in the last three years, you've heard Romans 13 speak about authorities being given to us by God. 
You know, Exodus 22, 28 tells us this, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. This is a tough one. The sovereignty of God is at play in our lives. We must submit to God and his plan for authorities. But what are the wicked? People of God, God rescues us through things, not from things. But he rescues us through things for something. To rescue someone else. God is glorified by works of deliverance that he has ordained. Consider his words at the beginning of the ten words. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. If you read Psalm 107, you see such difficulty. And it says this in verse 6, And they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they may go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to Yahweh, his goodness, and for his wonderful works, the children of men. And it goes on for many more verses working through this. And at the end of Psalm 107, in verse 41, it says, Yet he, this is God, sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things and understand the loving kindness of Yahweh. Now, you have to understand that this command about honoring your parents, if you dishonor them, it comes with the death penalty. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18 says this, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. If you've studied the Bible at all, where's the only place in the Bible that we see that this is that, that someone is adjudicated in this way, that this accusation is made? And that they are put to death? It's Jesus. Now I want to say this now. Jesus came and all of the ones who should have accepted him, been excited for him, been delighting in the fact that he came, the people of Israel, the leaders, they should have been excited that the salvation for all the people was at hand. And instead they rejected him. As a matter of fact, they make this charge in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is responding and he says, Now listen, the Son of Man, a son, came eating and drinking. And they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
This is what they do. They actually come and say, okay, you say you're the son of man. You say you're the son of God. Great. We see who you are, and we're going to make this accusation. And Jesus was accused and tried unjustly. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to bring uh, to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose, and listen, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. We need to understand that God's sovereign plan is unfolding for God's glory and our benefit. In Matthew 10, verse 24, it says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Every single one of us and the hard things that we deal with and the past that is behind us, God's sovereign plan is unfolding for his glory and for our benefit. And we need to be careful in this way. Jesus, when teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, says this, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And all too often when teaching on this, we pause at the end of the prayer and don't see and don't take the time to look at Jesus' admonition right after that in verse 14 where he says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. People of God, we are not called to simply hold grudges against those in our past, whether our mother and father or others. We're not to hold that. Galatia, we are called, as it says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. Now this word brethren means all of us, all the people of God. If any person is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is, those of you who have grown and matured in Christ, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If our parents have sinned against us, pray, forgive, and seek to see them restored to repentance to guard our Father. Now I want to pause right here and say, let me be clear about this. Crimes of abuse should be by the word of God, prosecuted by civil authorities and the church. They go hand in hand. I'm not in any way excusing it. I'm saying a call to repentance, and if God's word says this is a crime, let us prosecute it, both in the church and by the civil authorities. Now in all this, it's about humility. God has saved us through 
our circumstances. We are called to bring others to repentance. We should understand that honoring our mother and father in this way puts us against revolutions. Continual peaceful living is the Christian goal. Generally, we need to reject revolutions. We can look at the method of revolutionaries and see that they attack parents and past generations. From the French Revolution to today, revolutionaries disregard the fifth word. They seek to supplant parents, grandparents, and history regardless of the facts. We need to recognize that Marxist and status relationships are legal rather than biological. This is an intentional attempt against our Heavenly Father who has established both biological families and his redeemed family, the church. This is important. What are we called to? Well, we are always thinking. Another reason that we should be very cautious about being in a revolution, and I will say there are times to stand up against the state, to stand up against authorities, to call someone to repentance. 100%. We should always be doing this. But God works by reforming, by reformation, and it's gradual, ordinarily. Exodus 23, verse 29 says, I will not drive them. This is God speaking about the, the pagans, the God-haters, those worshiping Molech and killing their babies in the worship of Molech and Baal. It says, God says this, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Ordinarily, how God works is He doesn't transform us and set us free from everything. Why? Because we're not prepared, we're not mature, we're not ready yet. God works over time. By the way, we didn't get in this cultural mess in one night, in one day, in one decision, or even in one year. It has been gradual. Now certainly, all of us should pray and ask for God to bring purity to His church, repentance to His people, and to call the lost. And perhaps God will do a miracle in such a great way that we will say, wow, look at the power of God through His people. We always want change immediately. Our impatience brings us things we may not be ready for. We want justice to prevail. However, usually for others faster than we want it for ourselves. In speaking of judgment, God instructs us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 by saying, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our calling is to be like Jesus and lay down our right for vengeance, for offenses, 
so that we may see a person restored to God in repentance. As the church, we are, by the power of the Spirit, bringing healing to the nations. Revelation 22, verse 1, paints this picture for you and I. It says this, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Water of life, people of God. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God takes you and I and plants us by the river of living water so that we may grow and mature and that the leaves, the produce of our lives brings healing to the nations. This culture around us is caused by the unrepentant sin in the church. The culture reflects the people of God. Where necessary, we need to, we must repent of not honoring our parents. By disregarding our parents, we disregard our God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that we can truly call you our Father. Lord, forgive us, O, o Lord, where we sin, where we disregard our parents, our history. Lord, where we disregard authorities. We do ask, O Lord, that you would help bring a change to this world. But we know that it comes through repentance of your people and by the work of your spirit. Please do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.